Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. This is Unnecessary Roughness. Roughness. You got to score points to win. You can't win without scoring points. Touchdown Raiders! He went right through the line and gives Vegas a touchdown to extend the lead. Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your boy Q. Got a tweet from Keith. He said, Q, Damon, the Falcons adopted the black jersey when Glanville took over the team. They were always red before then. Again, Keith on Twitter. We do appreciate that. Join us now on the phone lines from NFL Network is our good friend Nick Shook. And Nick, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. And we were talking about these jerseys because I feel like, and I would love to hear from you, I feel like the NFL really missed a good situation and a a good moment right there, an opportunity by not having the Raiders involved in the Black Friday game coming up this year. What are your thoughts on Black Friday and the Jets and Dolphins being the team on the schedule? Is it solely because they were black? Because, I mean, (laughs) that makes sense. But uh, we're we're in an era of uh, uniform adjustments that are commonly (laughs) known as black for black's sake among uniform uh, I don't know fanatics, and uh, and pretty much every team, almost every team, has a black alternate uniform, including the Jets. So they'll get that done. But it, it, it's a bummer that it's not the Raiders because you're right; it would make sense. Silver and black playing on Black Friday, but Jets are a hot ticket this year. They're definitely a hot ticket. No, they are. But I'm looking at it like the black hole. You got Allegiant Stadium as a black stadium. I mean, it's the silver and black. I mean, it just everything goes again. Nick, this whole week. To me, it made sense, and I told anyone who would listen, oh, yeah, the Raiders are going to play on Black Friday, and then nothing. So I'm really kind of deflated today that I, I, don't, I didn't get even close to, to what I thought was going to happen. Sometimes in life, things <laughs> make too much sense, and then they don't go that way, you know? Clearly, because <laughs> that has happened to me, my friend. That has happened to me today as we found out about the, the Black Friday game, the Jets and the Dolphins, and we found out some international games, and we found out a couple other games that are going to be played as well. We'll get the full meal deal coming up tomorrow. So, Nick, I ask you, man, when you look at the schedule, when you get it in your hand, of course, you and your colleagues there, NFL.com, NFL Network, do a fantastic job. What do you look for first? You know, how do you break down schedules? That's a good, that's a good question. Um, it's it's an interesting exercise because you probably run through it, I don't know, half a dozen times for each team, especially when you're writing about it. And really what you do is I, I look at it first, who they starting with, what's their first month look like, because we know it's important to get off to a decent start in this league, of course. And then I immediately go to the back end and look at the last month. And if there's a bunch of road games and it's a bunch of, you know, difficult opponents, then, you know, you instantly realize how important it is to stack wins early for some of these teams because they know the toughest part is coming late. Then, of course, you look for the primetime games. What does the league think about this team? Because the league can often signal how it expects, A, this team to perform, and B, this team to be viewed, uh, you know, how interesting they'll be based on how many primetime games they get. I think back to when I worked for the Browns in 2019, and the Browns got a ton, a ton of primetime games, but they were all like the first six weeks of the season. What that told me immediately was, look, we know they're a hot topic. Let's get them on national TV early before in case they – before the state half of the season in case they, you know – go down in a ball of flames, which is exactly what that Browns team did. And by the end of the season, people had forgotten about them because they weren't on their TV every week. It wasn't like this past season when you got, like, Bronco games and Rams games later in the season on national TV, and nobody wanted to watch those teams at that point because they were disasters. So it often tells you, hey, this team's got a lot of potential, but we're not so certain about it. Let's put them on prime time early, or it's a team that the league thinks is going to be, you know, a team that somebody wants to watch for good or for bad, you know, like 
for example, that we talked about the Jets. You know, they could end up being on prime time a lot because they got Aaron Rodgers, because they've been a hot topic of the offseason. I think that's one of those teams that if they do end up on prime time a lot, uh, it's not going to really matter if it's earlier or later in the season because there's going to be two groups of people, either people who want to watch the Jets succeed or people who will revel in the Jets' failure if they do not live up mm. to the expectation. Yeah, that's true. There's going to be a lot of fans that are going to hope that Aaron Rodgers does not do well because, well, they just don't like Aaron Rodgers. So let me ask you this about the other team playing on that Black Friday game, the Miami Dolphins. What are your expectations, especially with a quarterback in Tua Tagovailoa, that we don't know if he's going to be healthy? And not that I root for anyone to ever get injured, but we all know that you know his, his, his injury history is, is pretty large. Yeah, it's large. Um, you can't overlook that fact, and I think that comes into play when you think about the long-term planning and whether you want to compensate him, you know, significantly. But uh, again, this is—it's—it's it's the most important position in sports. We know that, and we know that this season's going to again hinge on his availability because we saw them get to the playoffs last year. They had a great start. He was healthy. Then he gets banged up. You know, he gets a concussion. He misses a couple games. He comes back. They're okay. Defenses kind of start to figure them out and realize, hey, let's just play zone against them instead of man, and it kind of hurt their offense. And then he got concussed again, and they end up in the playoffs with Skylar Thompson at quarterback. So, And this is a team that actually went out and tried to get an insurance policy in Teddy Bridgewater, and he couldn't play either. So uh, their, their potential, again, really hinges on the availability of their quarterback. It's funny because you think about notable quarterbacks in the NFL over the last 15 years, a lot of them you don't – think about is missing a ton of time you know tom brady he tore his knee in 2008 week one and missed the whole season but otherwise he was pretty much available every week for the the vast majority of the time since then um even aaron Rodgers, other than when he broke his collarbone uh you know he only had a couple seasons in which he missed significant time the the mainstays of this league which is somewhat by design they stay on the field and if you can't keep that guy on the field then you're not going to have that much of a shot to begin with. So I think it all really depends on him, on Tua's availability, and then it really comes down to, you know, how healthy can the rest of the team play because you know, can they stay? Because, you know, to get to find success in this league, it's really a few things. you got to have a few things go your way, and you got to stay healthy, and, and you, you, you really got to uh, avoid the early season pitfalls. And, and the biggest issue for them last year was him, you know, him not being available. Otherwise, they're, they're pretty well suited to be a contending team. They looked like one until they lost him last year. So, Year two of Mike McDaniel, I think they got some things to figure out offensively when it comes to the passing game because they did kind of hit a lull there in the second half of the season. But I expect them to be a contender in what's suddenly going to be a pretty tough division. Talking all things NFL right now with Nick Shook from the NFL Network. Find his work on NFL.com as well here on Radio Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Roughness. DeMond's got one for you. I'll save my gridiron questions for the end of the interview. But I've got to ask you when it comes to – He knows what I'm talking about. Okay. Nick knows what's up. So when it comes to teams, when it comes talking about the uh, schedule and where teams are playing, what well, we all know before the schedule is released, hey, these are the opponents that your team's going to play. But do you think that some teams around the league or maybe even players where they do look at the schedule and say, oh, man, the league maybe didn't do, do us that good of a favor by the way the teams that we already knew we were playing but how they're matched up against us? Well, I think it, there's probably two ways to look at it from a player perspective. One is, all right, line it up. Let's go play them. We believe we can beat anybody. And the other way is, you know, if you don't end up on prime time a lot, then it's like, oh, nobody believes in us. The league doesn't think that we're going to be good this year. Let's go prove them wrong. I think at this point, you know, it's May. Like, this is the perfect time of the year. Everybody's going to go 17-0. Everybody's going to win the Super Bowl. Everybody's going to have a great year. It's going to be a memorable season and everything else because it's May and we're not close to actually deciding who's good and who's not and making them prove it on the field. So I think, you know, they, 
they might take offense to some of the way that the schedule lines up. But again, you know, there's also some pressure that comes with being on primetime a lot. I think back to the 2008 Browns. You know, they came off a 10 and 6 season, which they barely missed the playoffs. They got thrown on primetime a bunch. Browns fans are at camp chanting Super Bowl, and then they fell flat on their face. And that entire summer, all they talked about was, yeah, we think we can do great things, but they didn't end up being a good team. So there is pressure that comes with it, you know, if you get put on primetime a lot or you, you have a tough schedule ahead of you. But as a competitor and an NFL player, number one, you're looking at it as an opportunity to go compete and prove yourself more than anything. We were talking about this earlier in the show when it comes to the Chiefs and who should play them that opening night, that Thursday when they're getting the banner up. And we had a Raider fan say, hey, he doesn't want to play them. Remember Ring Around the Rosie. But who do you think would make for the most exciting matchup for that Chiefs week one, game one? Man, that scarred you, didn't it? That Ring Around the Rosie. Yeah, I'm still thinking about that. <laughs> it didn't, though. I'm like, hey, man, if I'm the Raiders, I want to get some get back and just go and handle, handle my business, right, and get that out of my mind. See, and this is why, Q, you fall right in line with the perspective of an NFL player. Because if you were put on primetime six times in a season, you'd be like, all right, let's go. Let's go win all of them. I don't care who we're playing. So you want to go get that get back. Um, I think I think that uh, it would probably make sense, because we do get a Chiefs-Eagles game, right, this year. That's on the schedule. So um, that was one of my top ten games to watch this year. Why not run it week one, right? I mean, that would make the most sense. I don't know if that's going to happen. Um I think we might be in for a bit of a surprise, but uh, I would run. I would be Chiefs Eagles for sure. Yeah, no, that that would make a whole lot of sense. Uh, I just think that you know the Raiders they can't if they're thinking about that ring around the rosy still at this point. There's a problem, right? I mean, you're you yeah, they yeah. they did it. They didn't stop it. So so be it. So if the Raiders as a team are still thinking about it, you're already doomed. Your season's already done if that's what's the top of your mind. The only way I look at that is this: y'all think you can come in here and do that on us again? Yeah, better. Think differently, because we're going to prove to you that we're not some pushover anymore. I'd use it as motivation. I wouldn't be worried about it as, oh, man, they already punked us once. Oh, man, you know what I mean? Right, exactly. I'm right there with you. Again, we're talking with Nick Shook here on Raider Nation Radio 920, Necessary Roughness. So the Jaguars have a couple games internationally back-to-back. What does that tell you about the Jaguars, and also what does it tell you about where the NFL is really trending? Well, (laughs) the, the funny thing is this happens every year, and it gets louder and louder every year. They, they put the international games out there first, and the, the number is, like, always right around five. And, and the immediate reaction is, how close are we to putting an NFL team overseas? <laughs> I don't think we're that close. Not until supersonic, or what is that? Yeah, supersonic travel. They bring that back. That's slated for 2029. Once that happens, then, uh, the, then maybe we'll uh, end up, uh, you know, get, when the flights get shortened, maybe we'll end right. up doing that. Um, but I, I think that really what it says about the international series is that the NFL continues to grow there. And they've come to real because the Jaguars. Now, mind you, when they first started doing these games in London, the Jags always went because the Jags were the first to volunteer and the Jags were bad. And they knew, hey, you know, we can't sell out our own stadium. Let's go play overseas, do the league a favor, save us, you know, from potentially blacking out one of our games. Because so they had the tarps up in that upper deck for a while. And what they did in that process was they built this strange like base of fans. In London, like it's it's a Jags town because they were the only team that consistently came there to play. So now that the Jags are good, the league's like, hey, you guys get them twice. You know, to reward you for how dedicated and passionate you've been about this team that's been largely bad for the last fifteen years. Now they're suddenly maybe good, and they have a franchise quarterback, and they want a playoff game. You get them twice. You get them back to back, and it also is another um, milestone achieved, another hurdle cleared by the NFL, which continues to push in that direction every year that they're going to have them go there and do back-to-back. Like, it's just one step closer, which, again, circling back to the start of this response, 
reignites the discussion about whether we can get a team over there. It's been going on with the Jags for a while, um, and, and I don't think that, that we're really that close. But it is interesting that, you know, they know they know who the, the largest fan base is, what team has the largest fan base overseas. It happens, it happens to be the Jags. They're coming off a strong season, so why not put them in there back-to-back and uh, set a new precedent? What do you think about that whole division? They're all young quarterbacks. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is the old dude on the block now, right? I mean, every quarterback in that division is a rookie outside of Lawrence. How do you think that that shakes out this year? Well, Jags are in the catbird seat right now. You know, let's think about it. They weren't picking, you know, any any later than one just a couple of years ago. Right. And uh, and now suddenly they're they're in a great spot where they got a quarterback they feel really good about. It's a coach quarterback pairing that has been productive already and is only going to continue to get better. I think. Um, and the rest of the division is kind of forgettable, uh, to be completely frank. Um, Houston has been the team that everybody's kind of, you know, looked down upon for the last few years, and, and for good reason. They've been cycling in and out of coaches. They went with Davis Mills for about a year and a half. We all knew that wasn't going to work out. But finally, you know, this offseason was the first step in the right direction for them, in which they they went in, they went away from we're just a team that one-year guys latch onto to stay in the NFL. Now we're a team that goes out and signs players of significance, acquires players of significance, rewards them with extensions, like with Shaq Mason today. Uh, and, oh, by the way, we're going to trade back up to three after we take all the leverage out of the Cardinals' hands in the draft after taking a quarterback second overall. Smoke screen successfully implemented. We're going to get two studs in this draft and really you know, chart our course forward with a new young head coach who happens to be you know, a franchise hero of past days. So, you know, I think they're taking a step or two in the right direction. It's exciting for me because it's been tough to watch Texans football for the last few years. It's been tough to watch Colts football for the last year and a half. You know, they went from a team that looked like a legit contender down the stretch in 2021 to a disaster last year. Um, And they're going with a rookie quarterback who has all the physical tools in the world, but I still think needs some development. Uh, He needs to fine-tune his mechanics, specifically his footwork. Um, and, and they just don't, they aren't quite constructed to be a, a legitimate contender right now. And then you have the Titans, they're at a crossroads. That roster's not good. And Ryan Tannehill's got one year left. They're got Will Levis behind him. Feels like a transitional year for them as well. So I think it's the Jags division to lose. And I don't really feel that great about any other team's chances of catching up to them. Um, but you know, you might see a couple teams start to trend toward the positive. If I had to pick between the other three outside of Jacksonville, it's probably Houston at this point because of what they've done this offseason. Tighten up, don't worry. Will Levis is the future. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he doesn't I even mean, believe look, that. Listen, <laughs> let me tell you this. I know he doesn't, but he's got to speak confidently. You know, it helps him <laughs> sleep at night. Listen, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. When I was at the combine, I'm watching Will Levis work out, and I'm thinking, this guy? They're saying this guy's a top 10 pick? There ain't no way. We're going through mock draft. People got him going as high as four to Indy. They got him going on, you know, you know, seven to the Raiders. They got it all over the place, right? And the whole time I'm thinking, there's no way. Like, this is the pre-draft machine at its finest bumping up a guy who doesn't deserve to be there. I don't revel in somebody's disappointment. But I did feel very vindicated at the end of the first round when he was still out there because that confirmed to me that scouts agreed with what I saw, which I didn't think was that difficult to see just for the average human eyes, (laughs) which is that this guy is not a first-round pick. Now, does that mean he can't become something? No. It's just that he's not going to immediately change your franchise overnight. Nick Shook, you're an evil man. Um, but what I want to <laughs> ask you about, on the list that you had of the uh, 10 most tantalizing games for this upcoming season, what's a game that maybe it'll be, an, it'll be a fun game to watch? And maybe it didn't make your list, but you're like, hey, these two teams, that this is going to be a fun game, but maybe people are going to be sleeping on. That is a tough question because we have such a large you know, pool of games to look at. Um, 
I think that an interesting game between two surprise teams that is, you know, it's going to be the Seahawks playing against the Giants. So, you know, the Giants are one of their road mm-hmm. opponents this year, right? And this is two teams that nobody expected to do much of anything last year. Two teams with completely different circumstances. New coach in New York. Entrenched coach in Seattle. Quarterback who is probably in a make-or-break season in New York. Quarterback who had to fight for the job in Seattle after, you know, Russell Wilson departed. Both teams that were not expected to make the playoffs, both teams got there and one of them won a playoff game. Which one is in a better position going forward? Is it the Seahawks who had a good draft? Or is it the Giants who feel that they're positioned to take the next step? They like Daniel Jones. They're confident in him. I think it's going to be an interesting one to watch because, you know, when we talk about contenders in each of these conferences, first off, the AFC is loaded. Secondly, the Giants are not landing at the top of the NFC list right now. It's the Eagles' conference to lose at this point. The Niners are going to make a strong argument for that, right? But this, these are two teams that, you know, they were lurking last year, came up, got to the playoffs. Why not see where each of them are going into year two? Because oftentimes the team will, you know, we talk about the turnover and playoff teams every year, and we talk about the parity in the league. Which one can sustain the success? And I think it's a great, uh, you know, little test to these two. I'm interested to see where they put this on the schedule for sure. I think, I think it could end up, um, you know, we talked about, you know, teams with, with like front-loaded primetime games. Because both of these teams were kind of surprises last year, I would not be surprised if this was in the first half of the season at some point. All right, something that I know that was appointment viewing for you this weekend, the Miami Grand Prix, Max Verstappen got the win. What's the Max Verstappen equivalent of NFL players? Because it looks like he is just dominating F1 right now. I thought that was a podcast shout-out that you made earlier. Look at that with the plug. <laughs> there you go. You. Um, the Max Verstappen equivalent in the NFL right now. It's almost like a it's a Red Bull equivalent. The the Red Red Bull is the Chiefs. In fact, we were going to do this segment on the podcast. I had this in in the book, so it's going to we're probably going to do the next month or so comparing F one teams to NFL teams. I mean, the, the Red Bull is like the Chiefs right now, and Verstappen's essentially Mahomes. He has to be. He's. I don't think Mahomes has the win at all cost instincts, and and he's probably Mahomes is a better teammate than Verstappen is. But that's kind of a tough comparison between the two. But if I had to pick, it would have to be Mahomes, and then I would probably put. Lewis Hamilton at like the Tom Brady role, even though Brady's retired now because he's just been so good for so long and nobody questions his ability. So Max Verstappen, he's got to be the Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are, the, are, are Red Bull right now. Yeah, Red Bull also cheats, so, I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> oh, so so we're talking uh, Patriots of, of last decade, yeah? <laughs> they didn't cheat. It was catering. It was a lot of extra chicken tenders. <laughs> there you go. DeMond will never turn down some extra chicken tenders, ever. <laughs> he don't turn down anything he can get at any cost at any time. Well, that was a nice little reference there, Damon. Uh, hats off to you for that. Nick, fantastic stuff as always, my man. What are you working on next that we should be on the lookout for? Uh, well, we got schedule content this week. Oh, yeah. Uh, a ton of it. Uh, we, are, we are attacking it from every angle. Uh, you know, we'll be giving you our takeaways from each team's schedule, breaking it down with a few points for each team. We got stuff coming. We are, it already came from the international games. We got stuff coming from the holiday games. We got all that stuff coming this week. And you know, like Demond just referenced, got the Gridiron Pod too. You know, Gridiron Podcast is grid with iron and brackets because we do F one and football. And there's two similar. There's one thing they share in there. That's the grid. The grid and gridiron is for the grid in F one. We just put up a, a new episode last night. Uh, you can catch that on YouTube if you look up Gridiron Podcast or at Gridiron Pod on YouTube and your URL. Uh, you can also find us on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, every you know SoundCloud, all your favorite podcast sites. You can find us there for all your 
Formula One and football breakdowns. I like it. I like it. Just let everyone know, the powers that be, whoever that may be, that you know somebody that's a little salty about this Black Friday game. That's all I ask. You don't have to give me a – you don't have to shout my name out. Just let them know you know a guy. <laughs> yeah. Next time I go sit at the big lacquered conference table with the commission, I'll let them know. <laughs> there you go. That's my guy. That's why – hey, that's why we kick it, Nick. That's why we kick it. Thanks so much, my man. It's always great catching up with you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, brother. There he goes. Nick Shook, NFL Network, NFL.com. You can find a lot of his work. Uh, does fantastic stuff across the network, and we definitely appreciate him in a major way. You can find him on Twitter at the Nick Shook. 420 is the time. We'll come back, get to some calls and texts, and then coming up around 440, Ross Jackson, Locked On Saints, will join us to talk all things Foster Morrow and the fact that he signed a three-year deal with the Saints. This is Red Nation Radio 920. You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. On Raider Nation Radio. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll talk to Ross Jackson, host of Locked On Saints. All things Foster Morrow. He signs a three-year, $12 million deal today with the Saints. $8 million guaranteed. This is just a couple months after letting it be known that uh, he has Hodgkin's lymphoma and he's doing really well. Right, Found out today that he's doing really well and that he's not going to miss the season and that they're going to bring him along slowly, but he still will be playing sometime this season. So a really good story happening with Foster. Very excited about him. Of course, uh, he used to play for the Raiders, took that uh, took that free agent visit to New Orleans, and that's when he took the physical and found out about uh, the Hodgkin's lymphoma. But uh, I'm glad to hear that he's doing really well. So, again, there's not too many stories that we get to talk about and bring up that have great great endings, and this one sounds like it's trending towards a really great ending. So we'll talk to Ross Jackson coming up at 440 about that. Got a text on the don'tbebroke.com text sign at 69187, keyword R&R, and you can hit us up as well if you want at 702-365-9200. That's the Raider Nation listener line. Sir Whiskey Ray said Q&D. Good afternoon, gentlemen, and today's topic is a good one. What I always look forward to when the schedule come out is always the home opener and road destinations. I tend to have a city already picked out with uh, our group. This season, it's Indy. I'm hoping that the dates work out on my end due to my crazy schedule. Also, I can't forget about primetime games. Tomorrow's like Christmas. Been looking forward to the schedule coming out since the end of our season. On another note, it's time to close out the Dub Series. Sorry, Q, but I don't want a potential game six and or season. Let's go Lakers as Sir Whiskey Ray. And I'll tell you this, going to the, the Dubs and the Lakers, Mike Greenberg, Greeny, when he said that the Lakers ought to just go ahead and leave AD and LeBron in L.A. and rest the starters in game five was the dumbest thing I've ever heard him say. Dumbest thing. I respect Greeny, but that was the dumbest thing I ever heard him say. You don't, you don't play around like that in the playoffs. I get it. In the regular season, sure. The playoffs, no. You put a team out when you could put a team out. The Lakers should do everything in their power to win this game tonight and get a little bit of rest. That's what they should do. He followed it up by also saying that the Knicks may be the reason that they're down to the heat is, you know, because of the heat down in Miami. Yeah, that was dumb, too. I mean, so. He was on one. I don't know if he didn't get enough sleep. I didn't know if there was something in the water that he was drinking. I don't know what was going on. But, I mean, that was a series of, like, dumb things that Mike Greenberg has said. My dad always says, I'm not a Greeny fan. Now I understand. <laughs> Greeny, we need takes. All right, man. It's hot. Man. It's hot in Miami. He's just so excited <laughs> Maybe about Maybe LeBron stay home. <laughs> he's so excited about Aaron Rodgers being a member of the Jets. He, he's just throwing out dumb stuff now. That didn't make any kind of sense. So, yeah, I mean, it looks like the, the Warriors season could potentially come to an end tonight. You know, I, I, again, I've, I've expressed it many times how poorly they manage this season. The roster will look a lot different next year. I promise you that. And I hope that it's Jordan Poole-less. I hope that he is anywhere but Golden State next year. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. I saw someone say that Jordan Poole and 
Jonathan Kaminga should be traded. Oh, and Andrew Wiggins should be traded to Boston. Um, Colin Cowherd for Jalen Brown was it Colin? Yeah, that was also a dumb one too because they, I would take that. I would t- get of rid course, of all them. Of cats. course, Boston would. I mean, of course, the Warriors <laughs> would take it because he also included Malcolm Brogdon in the deal too. Oh yeah, so you right. get a good three and D guy and Jalen yeah. Brown. Yeah, but I don't, the, the Celtics shouldn't want that trade. Well, maybe th- maybe they'll <laughs> be dumb enough to fall on their head and take that trade because I would man anything to get. I don't care what it takes to get Jordan Poole out of there. Just go on and get him out of there. He literally had one good season last year, and I don't want to take anything away from him because he did have a hell of a season last year. And really, I mean, he was a big reason why the Warriors ended up eventually winning the championship. I mean, when Steph was out, when Clay was out, other guys were out, Jordan Poole stepped up in a major way. So I don't want to take anything from him. But he is the most frustrating player that there is. Just the most frustrating. If he goes, I also need Draymond to go. There's a good I want him to go. go, too. There's a good chance he can go. He has a player option, so he can opt out this season. I think that he really wants to end up being in L.A. with LeBron. Him and LeBron are all of a sudden buddies. Ain't talking that trash this season. Yeah, he went from kicking him in the stones to all of a sudden, you know, that's his buddy buddy. So who knows? Uh, Draymond, he kind of, I don't know, he wears, he kind of wears on you. Even as a fan of the team, he wears on you. But he also is kind of the engine that makes everything go. So I could see him convincing the Warriors to run it back one more year. But I also could see him being on the first thing smoking in L.A. after the season's over. So there's that. But. Whatever. Just don't want him to win after punching the guy in the face. You're the reason why most of the chemistry's fractured. I understand why he punched him, though. <laughs> I mean, again, I don't condone the violence. I'm not saying it's okay, but I understand. <laughs> right? Jordan Poole is so frustrated. You asked the question before the series got started. I did. Who was going to make you want to punch him first, D'Angelo Russell or Jordan Poole? I think it's hands down Jordan Poole. It's not even close. D'Angelo Russell's been like a saint. Compared to Jordan Poole. And when he is bad, they can just put Lonnie Walker in in his place, and he'll come up big. No doubt. D'Angelo Russell didn't see the court that fourth quarter. No, no, and why would he, right? I mean, man, Lonnie was killing it, so you got to give him a lot of credit for that as well. And so uh, thank you, Sir Whiskey Ray, for that, and thanks for uh, ripping that bandage off of the Warriors in the Lakers series that probably gets wrapped up tonight. Maybe the Warriors, you know, defend their home court with a little bit of pride and win and then go back to L.A. and probably be over after that uh, also got a text from jim and yonkers don't be don't be broke.com text line i say raiders at chiefs the first thursday thought the Bengals would be that team but it was announced today uh that it wasn't they're going to be playing on new year's eve one of the movies was about a college in texas that was the first school that started five black players uh and he said who played don haskins come on lol thank you and of course you're talking about utep and that city is El Paso, and it's funny. In the uh, Glory Road, right? Glory Road is the movie. Yeah, that's a movie. Very good movie. When me and Lil Q were on a recruiting trip to UTEP, they actually said, "Oh, hey, there's the that's the building right there, uh, the Don Haskins Center. That's where uh, you know the Glory Road was filmed. Like a lot of it was filmed right there. So I thought that that was really cool, and I really wanted uh, Lil Q to go to UTEP for a while, but then uh, you know the coaching staff kind of broke up, and I was mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, okay, cool. So it's all good. Never mind." Real quick, first jump from Yonkers. I thought you just wanted five basketball movies and named the coach who played in the movies. So I came up with uh, Martin Lawrence and Rebound. What movie was that? It was like a kids' movie, Martin Lawrence and Rebound. Of course, it was. Uh, of course, and uh, uh, Nick Nick Nolte, Blue Chips. Okay, I remember coach that Carter, one. Yep. Samuel L. Jackson. Yep. I oh, mean, I lost my list that quick. Ben Affleck, your boy, in The Way Back. That's a newer movie. What was that? Was that? Is it new? Yeah, it's it's. I say 2019. Uh, what the is way, it about? Uh, he's like um a retired you know. Oh, is he the uh, alcoholic? He's a, he, yeah, he's a he's an alcoholic, yeah, washed up the, player. Yeah, has to come back and you I know. Couldn't happen to a better guy. That's okay. right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, but Glory Road, uh, I, that wasn't one of the basketball movies that I thought of. But it's either a Josh Charles or Josh Lucas. It's a Josh something that was the uh, that played uh, Don Hackens here. Yeah, they were the first team until uh, until Baylor won the national championship to actually win a national championship in the state of Texas. As big as Texas is, they were the first team to win a national championship. Shout out to Don Haskins. Yeah, nice. Pat Riley was also a part, a part of the team that they played against the Kentucky team. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a lot right. of history there. There you know, That is a good movie. That is a really good. I'm not a movie buff. That's why you can ask me any question, Jim. You can ask me any movie-related question, and I'll get it wrong. I will absolutely get it wrong. I am terrible when it comes to movies. I don't know any movie whatsoever. I like funny movies. Today I was quoting White Man Can't Jump because I was talking about Aaron Gordon, and I felt like he's a guy that should play a role in White Man Can't Jump. And really, the reason I remember White Man Can't Jump the most is because Rosie Perez, when she was trying to run from the Destuki brothers or whatever their name was, uh, and I remember pausing my TV and was like, yes, there's Rosie Perez. That's why I remember that movie the best. Just saying. Great movie. It was. Yeah, man. It was. I don't Mike. know about that remake. I don't know I'm about that. Oh, I'm not even worried about the remake. Mm. Uh, I'm, like I said, Rosie Perez running from the whatever those guys' names were, trying to jump out the window. All I needed. I was good. I was sold. All I remember is, Billy, you're so stupid. <laughs> That's all that matters. You're really rooting for her in Jeopardy, huh? I was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gloria. Gloria, you win again. Yeah, man, I was good. I was good. Look, man, you know. I wasn't always a grown man. Just saying. Had uh, young kid tendencies at times. Oh, speaking of young kid tendencies, you never said nothing. I came into About the what? show. Hold on. Hold up. Hold, slow your roll. Hold up. Swallow them up. I came into the show and said that I was wrong and gave you props. You never once have acknowledged my, my profile picture on Twitter that is me as a young buck playing baseball in my baseball pose. You have not. And we talked about this on the show. That I had to go find the newspaper. I had to go find my baseball card. I found both. And I was angry. Like, the wife was there. I didn't know she was at the house when, when we were wrapping up the show the other day. And I was talking about that. And she's like, what are you talking about? I didn't even know she was downstairs. And I said, my baseball newspaper. My dad brought it. And my baseball card. Where is it at? <laughs> and she said, oh, I threw the box away. And I was like, no! Like, I was so angry. And she's like, no, I put the stuff inside of it in the, okay. little, in the, in the little blue container in the closet. So I went, and I opened up the blue container, and it wasn't there. And I was like, no, it's not there. So I was, like, digging through the closet to find out there was another blue container. Oh, okay. But I found it, and then I took a picture, and I tweeted it out immediately, and I got no response from you. A lot of people were like, oh, that's cool, or oh, whatever, that's lame, whatever. DeMond gives me no response, but I found it. I have evidence that I played baseball, and I was successful. You got to retweet. Also, Q, you're really exposing the hater in me because yeah. I gave you the retweet. It's like, I'm going to get out of here. Because <laughs> it was almost immediately after the show was over. Yes. You're talking about no, like the, so, the searching that you had to do? I it couldn't have taken that long. Dog, I didn't even put the equipment away when I was done. <laughs> I, always, I go through a, a order of operations when I wrap up from the house. I, t I disconnect everything. I put the equipment away. I make sure everything's good to go. Then I go about my business. No, I left the equipment on. I barely even disconnected. Right? I mean, if we had an aviator game, they'd have been mad at me because I immediately got up out my chair and went downstairs and started looking for this baseball card. Yeah, I mean, then you've made it your profile picture. Oh, yeah. And people were like, oh, it's, man, it's a throwback King, now. No, no, mm. It's a throwback now. So many people, like, talking, congratulating you. And they, Just yeah, saying. Man, this is 40 years ago, people. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> Shout out to you. For, I mean, you know, you, you did it. You did the thing. And I had the newspaper article. Yeah, you still had it. I did. I did. Like I said, at least I had some evidence. And we had... I forget who it was, tweeted at me and said, well, now tell DeMond to go ahead See, and See, exactly, and that's why I was like, I'm staying out of this one because <laughs> I can't win. I post a picture of me from the basketball team. Somebody's going to be like, yeah, they, put the, they let the water boy put on a jersey for the day, huh? 
<laughs> so I was like, no. I want to see. I want to see the Perump Times. Is that what it is? The Perump Times. Danny Who's here on staff. He works for the paper. I mean, yeah, tell him to come on in here and he run some up, stats. He can pull the archives. Yeah, I want to see some stats. What did Demond do on the hoop court for Perump? I want to see it. Maybe Ed Grady. He's been around for a while. Maybe he wrote about you at one time. He's the twenty-five time <laughs> Nevada Writer of the Year. He's too big for high school. You know, I mean, I was out here doing my thing. Oh, okay. You know, if y'all want, y'all want me to take a picture, of, you know, or something that's laying around the house, maybe. I, look, it had my name in it. It had my name in the article. So there's the evidence was there, and that was before there was a little cue with the same name, right? <laughs> At that time, there was nobody with the same name. Now as we me. can tell from the picture that's definitely you. <laughs> Go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> 4.36 is the time. We'll take a quick break. Come back. Ross Jackson will join the show. We'll talk Foster Morrow. It's Raider Nation Radio 920. Takes the snap. Back to pass. Looking right. Pressure. Lofts. Far corner of the end zone. Open receiver. Touchdown, Foster Morrow. Touchdown, Raiders. Back right corner of the end zone. He ran under it to grab it from six yards out. And now the Raiders with a chance to tie the game here in Seattle. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. Right there you heard the last touchdown catch from Foster Morrow as the tight end of the Silver and Black. He is now in New Orleans. He is a New Orleans native. Went to LSU. He's back at the Saints. He's reunited with the quarterback that threw that touchdown pass that you just heard right there. One Derek Carr. And today signs a three-year, $12 million deal, $8 million guaranteed with the New Orleans Saints. And to join us to talk about it right now is our good friend Ross Jackson, Locked On Saints, and many other outlets covering the Saints. My dude is busy as all can be. And, Ross, thanks for making some time out of your busy day today. And I'll tell you, man, there's a lot of times in sports where we get stories that are okay and then there's stories that are bad. But it's rare that we get stories that are really good. And this Foster Morrow story sounds like a really good one from the Saints discovering the Hodgkin's lymphoma to today where he signs this uh, contract, three-year deal, and sounds like he's going to play this year with the Saints. How cool is this story for you, a guy covering the team like a glove? Yeah, man, no, it's, it's an incredible story, and you're right. Like, you know, we kind of we kind of revel in these moments, don't we, where we get, like, these cool, positive stories and things like that. And this is cool. Like, you know, you have a guy, Foss Moreau, who I'm, I'm, you know, where I'm standing right now, I can see – his high school that he went to from where I am. Wow. He went to high school right here in the city. He is, you know, an LSU graduate. So he, you know, obviously like there, there, are, there are years where the LSU football team is considered the favorite football team in the state of Louisiana, <laughs> right. depending upon how the Saints are playing. And so, I mean, it, it's an incredible thing to be able to cover that and, and to see something really positive come out of this. The thing that I knew for sure was that the thing that was going to be most exciting, no matter where he signed, was that, if he signed a contract, the cool thing about all this is that he goes from being a guy that said, I'm going to have to put football on the, you know, on the side right now while I you know, manage this and, 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 and go down this battle and go down this road. And him getting a contract meant that when he was ready to return to the NFL, one way or another he had a place to return to. The fact that it's home is really, really cool. And it sounds like it's going to be sooner rather than later that we actually get to see him out on the football field, which is an entirely you know, other, you know, set of positive circumstances there. There's no doubt, Ross. And, you know, when was it, you know, when did it become a conversation that this was a real deal possibility that, that Foster could sign this deal with the Saints? And then, obviously, it turns into reality today when he signs the deal. Yeah, I think back in May, uh, May goodness, when he, I think back in March, uh, when he came here to New Orleans and he did the physical, which is what uncovered the diagnosis, 
um, that's kind of when the conversation started to happen around, oh, okay, so he was here in New Orleans on a free agency visit, and he had gone so far down that free agency visit that he was getting a physical. So what was really happening there? Um, and, you know, routine physicals are a thing that every player goes through when they go and they visit a team. And, you know, it's part of the, the, the sort of uh, weighing and the criterion and all these other things. So that's kind of where the conversation started. But then last year, or last month in April, toward the end of the month, he came back here to New Orleans and actually finished that physical. And then so when he came back and finished the physical after the diagnosis, over a month after the diagnosis, that's really where things started to pick up about, okay, well, there's some ways to think he can get this done. And the original sort of idea was that they sign him, put him on a non-football injury list, kind of like what would happen with Jamison Williams last year, just as a recent example, um, when he was coming out of uh, Alabama uh, with the Detroit Lions. And then after the fourth week of the season, they'd be able to activate him. And so if he was, you know, medically cleared by week nine or so, they could activate him, open up that practice window, potentially see him back out on the field by, you know, week 13 or so. Now it sounds like he's cleared to play uh, and that he, he, you know, we might see him out on the field during OTAs here in, in a week and a half. Wow, that's incredible. Again, Ross Jackson is our guest, Locked On Saints, here on Radio Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness, talking all things Foster Morrow. My man, demond has got one for you. Something else that was a nice touch, when you look at the pictures that the Saints put out from Foster Morrow's contract signing, that he had on the Team Gleason shirt and the Zion Williamson, you know, dunks, um, excuse me, the, the shoes there, the Nikes, the Jordans that he has. Can you speak to the um, significance of Steve Gleason, more importantly, in the New Orleans area? I mean, you know, you go to the Superdome and, you know, you fight through the crowd of the French Quarter and all that other stuff. You get to the business district, you go across Poitiers, you go up the little platform, and then you get to the top of the platform, you go around, and you circumvent the dome, and there's a statue right there of Steve Gleason blocking a punt. And you want to know how important Steve Gleason is? There's a statue out front with two people on it, and I can guarantee you, you can walk all around the Superdome and say, hey, what's that punter's name? And nobody knows who that punter is. But everybody knows who Steve Gleason is. And Steve Gleason, number 37, is one of those numbers that always carries a lot of meaning when it gets assigned to a team, when it gets assigned to a player, or when a player chooses it. And this is the guy that is credited as being you know, the guy that helped to rebirth the city of New Orleans and helped the city of New Orleans through its rebirth back in 2006 when he blocked that field goal in the home opener after Katrina, the first home game after Katrina, or excuse me, that punt um, after the first home game in Katrina when they were going against the rival Atlanta Falcons. And so he has such a huge and means such a, a, a ton. And he's you know, gone through this very long battle with ALS um, that, you know, has done a lot of, and has done a lot of credible, incredible things here in the, in the community in terms of raising awareness of that and many other deals. And so to see Foster Moreau come in, and again, this is the importance of him being from Louisiana, him being from New Orleans, is that he understands the importance of the culture here. And to have that, uh, you know, there and present, you know, as he signed his contract and the Zions and all of this stuff. Remember, Zion was the guy that Drew Brees, as he was retiring, said he was passing the torch to Zion, not to another quarterback in New Orleans. He was passing the torch to James Winston. He was passing the torch to Zion Williamson. Hmm. And so there's just like a lot of that culture, just kind of like, you know, the culture, culture via drip is what I called it. Um, for, for Boston Monroe coming through and, and, and representing the city that way as he signed the contract with everybody's favorite team. So I've got to ask, when it comes to having that hometown, you know, feel for Foster Morrow signing this contract, how many other hometown connections do the Saints have on the team, whether it be guys that are actually from New Orleans or play to LSU? Sheesh, after last year, they actually end up having, like, quite a bit. I'm, I'm going to feel bad because I might forget somebody here, but the way that I'll say it is that the, the, the most notable player is Tyron Matthew, right? Tyron mm-hmm. Matthew went to LSU here. He's from St. Aug uh, High School here in New Orleans and everything, and, you know, he was – 
in, you know, you ask him where he was after the Saints won the Super Bowl, after the Saints won the Super Bowl back in the 2010 calendar year, 2009 season, and he was in the French Quarter. I mean, <laughs> you know, he was cut up, and so you know, he's he's obviously the biggest one. But this was a team that brought back Jarvis Landry last year uh, to the city of New Orleans. Uh, they have another guy on the roster, Kirk Merritt, who is a, uh, a Har- you know, he's from uh, I believe he's from Harahan, if I remember correctly, or Bonnebel, but he's he's not from far. So he's from, you know, right over here. And so they have quite a few guys that have those, you know, hometown connections or at least Gulf Coast. A lot of people from Mississippi, from Alabama, things like that as well. You know, some of their undrafted free agents come from those lanes, too. We have a two-lane guy that's an undrafted free agent here in New Orleans right now. And so they pay attention to that quite a bit, and especially over the course of the past few years. They don't, they don't draft many LSU guys, uh, and that's always been a point of contention for for Saints fans and Louisiana football fans, but man, they sure do uh, pay attention to the opportunity to bring those guys home who know the culture. Ross Jackson is our guest here at Radio Nation Radio 920 Necessary Roughness. Ross covers the Saints like a glove, including Foster Morrow, who signed his three-year deal today with New Orleans. Really exciting times for him. Very pumped up for what he can do. And Ross on the field, I mean, whenever he gets onto the field, of course he's got a new a quarterback he's very familiar with in Derek Carr. Uh, what do you think that that connection is going to be like on the field, and how good is that to get a security blanket like Foster, who's very familiar with Carr? Yeah, it's it's huge for Derek Carr, and, and you know I said this on my show today that if, if you're not building a roster to elevate your quarterback, and if you're not building a roster that your quarterback can elevate, then what are you doing as an NFL team? And so when you go out there and you have a guy like Derek Carr, you bring Brian Edwards over from Las Vegas with him, you bring Foster Moreau from Las Vegas over there with him. When Derek Carr showed up in at the time Oakland, but showed up with the Raiders, he had. You know, Dennis Allen as the head coach, Joe Woods was over on the defensive side, Marcus Robinson, you know, all these guys that were a part of that team are now here in New Orleans. And so I, I think the reason why I, I highlight all of that is because the, uh, there's synergy. And this was something that the New Orleans Saints offense, along with the sort of high-powered Sean Payton, you know, offense and everything that you, everybody kind of grew to know, know and love as an offensive brand in the NFL, a big part of the reason why that was so successful was because of synergy and symbiosis. Those are the two things that drove the way that the Saints made coaching staff decisions. It's why coaches never left New Orleans while Sean Payton was here, right? They had the same coaching. Staff. Like, Sean Payton doesn't have a coaching tree because ain't none of them left. None of them went anywhere. <laughs> right. And so they all stayed. And so that symbiosis, that, that synergy was such a big part of that. Everybody speaking the same language, everybody having the same solution to the same problem, all that. And Dennis Allen is trying to build his version of that here in New Orleans. And he's building that with a guy like Derek Carr. So now when, he, when Derek Carr comes off the field, he's got guys like Brian Edwards, if Brian Edwards sticks around, and Foster Moreau to look at who are seeing the field the same way that he is. And he's even got his young mentee in Jake Hayner here in New Orleans now. <laughs> yeah. He's a, you know, uh, that, that like sees the field the exact same way that he does, speaks the same shorthand, all that, that he gets to sit down and, and look at the screenshots with and say, okay, well, how are they responding to this, that, and the other, and what should we do next? I mean, he's got a bunch of guys around him that all speak the same language and are all going to be translating that Las Vegas language to the New Orleans language, and I think that's going to work out really well for him in terms of his ability to adjust to this offense. What was the reaction to the Jake Hayner, uh, you know, drafting? I mean, obviously the young man from Fresno State, and Carr knows him very well, and, you know, again, like you said, they speak the same language, but just what kind of reaction was that? Was that a, a Saints uh, fan saying, oh, another Fresno State quarterback, or were they pretty pumped up excited about Hayner? I think there was a, a large part of the population that was maybe too pumped up about it. You know, oh, the Saints got the next big, you know, oh, he's small just like Drew Brees was. He's going to be Drew Brees. Like, that, that's not what we're looking at here. And so I think that there was, like, a lot of excitement around it from that perspective. But I think for the most part what people saw was 
that this is a team that for the first time, you think about all those Drew Brees years, they drafted Garrett Grayson, they drafted uh, Ian Book, who they kept around for one year, and then they drafted Tommy Stevens, who they never had an, any intent of him playing quarterback. They were going to make him a tight end. He was supposed to be Taysom Hill's successor as a move-around guy. <laughs> and so the Saints never really invested in the quarterback position in the draft in terms of drafting and developing young quarterbacks. So really what this Jake Hayner pick was, that it was bigger than just Jake Hayner, it showed you that the New Orleans Saints were finally in a position to where they started to say, okay, we have to start taking swings at quarterback in the draft so that there's a succession plan ready post-Derek Carr as opposed to being in a situation where you spend two years scrambling around with six different quarterbacks once your guy leaves. If and when healthy, is Foster their tight end number one down there in New Orleans? I think, well, okay, there's a couple of things here. I think because of the way that New Orleans conducts its offense and they're so matchups-based, designations like wide receiver one, wide receiver two, wide receiver three, tight end one, tight end two, tight end three don't really exist in their offense. They're really just a, what are you doing on this down and in this personnel grouping? So I think that what it is is that what he presents to you is another top tight end. And because of his ability to be a guy that can be on the field for run plays, but that can also be on the field as a pass catcher, much like who will be his sort of tight end in tandem, which will be Juwan Johnson, a converted wide receiver that's really taken off here in New Orleans as a tight end. He's been this really great undrafted you know, free agent success story, another one here in the city. And so I think the two of them just become the top targets at their position, regardless of what the game plan is. So they get to be on the field for the rundowns. They get to be on the field for the passing downs and the passing situations. And they get to be on the field together, which is huge. The Saints ran 12 personnel, which means one running back and two tight ends and two wide receivers. That's commonly a run, uh, run play sort of personnel grouping. The Saints ran at 21, 21% of their passing plays last year, which was top five in the NFL. And that was with tight ends that are not as good as the situation that they are now in with guys like Juwan Johnson and with Boston Royal being added to the mix. And so I think what it does is that it gives them the opportunity to be versatile. It gives them the opportunity to be, um, you know, a little bit less predictable, and it gives them the opportunity to really be able to mix and match based on matchups. So I think that's what they really, what he really gives them more than being somebody that's specifically designated to doing one thing or being there for one purpose. Ross, we'll wrap up with this. Did you get a chance to talk to uh, Foster yet, or have they scheduled any kind of date when uh, he's going to be able to talk to the media? Not yet. He signed his contract today, so we should be getting some information about uh, media availability with him here soon. We do have media for our uh, for OT, not OTs. I'm sorry, the mandatory mini camps on or the rookie mini camps on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll lump that all together, but maybe we'll get him beforehand. But we haven't gotten him just yet. Well, I'll tell you right now, man. He's a pleasure to talk to. You'll really enjoy it. I know you will. He's a great dude. It's such a good story. I'm so happy for him. And I know Raider Nation, even though he's not a member of the Raiders anymore, Raider Nation is excited for him as well. So you got a good one on your hands there in Foster Morrow. So enjoy him. Of course, he's a hometown native, so you know very much a lot about him. So, Ross, thanks so much, my man. Appreciate you closing out the show with us this afternoon. Hey, real pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. Take care, stay safe, and I'll talk to you all soon. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Ross Jackson, Locked On Saints right there, does a fantastic job. He, he covers the Saints like a glove. I mean, many different outlets. He writes about the Saints. He talks about the Saints. He just is a Saints guy, right? I mean, he, he's there in New Orleans. He's in the heart of everything, and we definitely appreciate him. And, again, uh, in all sincerity, when I say that we're all happy for Foster Morrow, I'm super pumped up for Foster and his opportunity and glad that things are going a lot better than what we thought a couple months ago when we were on this very show and read the news that he was stepping away 
from football. We'll wrap up with this not-so-good news about Jalen Carter. Eagles' first-round selection Jalen Carter faces a lawsuit stemming from a car crash that killed his former Georgia teammate, Devin Willock. Dave Willock Sr., Willock's father, seeks $40 million in a case filed Tuesday against that school's athletic department. So there you go. Uh, not so good news for Jalen Carter, and you knew that that was coming from some point at some time. Probably won't be the last one, but we'll be back tomorrow talking all things schedule. It's Radio 920. Have a good one. Yeah.